I don't. I don't call DMVs everywhere else. Is that true? Yeah. That's because we're Indiana, and that makes it awesome. We don't follow the patterns. That's right. <laughs> we're renewed with the bureau of our minds. Um, okay. Yes, go. So you know how um, a couple months ago I was telling you how I didn't know what to do with my life? Yeah. Okay, so I was convinced I was going to come home because I didn't hear God telling me to move to Fort Wayne because Puerto Rican can't make it away. So Saturday, um, somebody asked me to be their nanny and to live in their house for free. Shoot. Yeah, I was like, okay, Jesus, I'll see you wait till the last minute. Today. Yep. He does do that. He really does. And he likes to do that. And it's kind of an annoying trait of his, actually. That uh, I, know it, I know that someday I'll be like, I'm so grateful that the Lord waits to the last day, teaches us to have faith. and all that. But, right, you know, that, but, but right now I'm just going to be completely human. It is annoying as heck. And it's like, Jesus, what are you doing, man? Come on. But he always comes through. Speaking of, well, we'll get there in a minute. Let's pray. <clears throat> Beautiful God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we ask for your presence. Holy Spirit, we ask you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be made manifest in this room today. That you would open up and tear open the scripture for us like fresh bread and feed us from your word. We ask you, come and kiss us with the kisses of your word today. We're hungry for you. We want to continue to move forward. And even as we connect with the Shulamites journey Lord I pray we'd find ourselves in this song and we would trust you that you know how to win us and you know how to draw us in in Jesus name we're in the last half of chapter 2 of Song of Solomon Last week, we talked about the, uh, well, let's just walk through the journey so far, because we, we, we've gone all the way through the first three steps. The first step of her journey was the stir of desire in her heart, where she said, she saw him, and she says, I want to go to there, you know, she was said, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, and the stir of desire... Um, for more of the Lord was just was just ramped up inside of her, and she became awakened to the fact that she wanted him, and this started her on this journey. It was the she stepped onto the conveyor belt, you know, stepped onto the moving walkway. You can't get off. Have you ever noticed that the moving walkways at the airport, you 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 get on, and then there's like walls. You cannot get off until the end. You know what I'm talking about? There's no, you don't get off halfway. Well, this journey is kind of like that. You can't jump off halfway. And actually, today we're going to talk about a time where she really decides she wants off, like she wants off the ride. And she can't. 
and it's difficult. And that's, yeah. But she steps on to the walkway with that, with that first stage of, of I, I, I desire him, I want him. And then, then she encounters her own brokenness. Almost first thing, you know, she, she sees his glory and then she, it's reflected back to her that she's ugly, that she's broken, that she's dirty and that he's not. And why on earth would he be with me? And, and this kind of, this, 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 the paradox of grace of, of saying, but why would he want me? And living in that place of understanding that he desires us, but also understanding that we don't deserve him in any way, shape or form. And that's, and then the, finally at the end of our time last, last week, we got to the place where she was beginning to understand her identity and the reflection of God's divine beauty. She, she began to see not only is he more beautiful, more amazing, more awesome than I ever thought he could be, but he actually desires me. She's begun to understand that. And by the time we got to the end of our time last week, she was in full-fledged, I'm so in love with him mode that she was begging to be fed with apples and raisins to be given the ability to just love him more. She was, she was in the shade under the apple tree, enjoying, enjoying him, just taking him in, in this place of pure delight and pleasure, just saying, you are so amazing, so satisfying. Oh, this is so good. Right? That's where she was. Okay, that's, that's where we ended last week. So we're starting with verse 8 of chapter 2. And all of a sudden, she sees something new about him. Something, something changes. You know, she's been in this relationship with him for a bit. And she's walked through the moments of, of insecurity. And she's kind of, and now she's really, she's learned to enjoy, to enjoy him without insecurity. That, which is really cool. Like she's actually able to believe that he desires her. And let me tell you something, guys. That is a huge thing. That is a massive thing. And the truth is, most people who become followers of Jesus never get there. It's just the truth. Most, most followers of Christ never even get to the stage of being able to enjoy God without insecurity. It's called confidence and love. Most of us never even get there. Most of us are constantly living in this battle with ourselves between God loves me, God hates me, God loves me, God hates me. Most of us stay in that place of insecurity, that stay in that place where we don't even really, we're not able to enjoy him without remorse. We're not able to enjoy him without wondering if he actually loves us. So she's already really, in, in comparative terms, she's a long way down the road right now. But Jesus is not okay with leaving her where she is. Do you remember what she, what the first thing that she said to him was, let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. But the very next thing she says to him is, let him kiss me. And then she says, let us run together. So she has the, she understands that she wants more than just an encounter with him. She wants to do life with him. She wants to be a partner with him. And that's all wrapped up in that first kind of stepping onto the conveyor belt moment of, oh, no, I don't want to just, I want to go on a journey with this man. I want to do life with him. Not just, not just, isn't he so handsome? I wish he could kiss me. No, no, no. This is, this is a, she wants to give her life to her relationship with him. 
And to be a partner with him is kind of the end goal of the thing. Well, so here we are. She's, she's under the apple tree. She's loving the shade. She's enjoying him without insecurity. That's massive. Okay. And all of a sudden, she begins to see him a little differently. Listen to the way she says it. Verse 8. Listen, my beloved, behold, he's coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he's standing behind our wall. We'll stop right there. But she sees him, and all of a sudden... See, up until now, like, she's been seeing him, but she hasn't seen him like this. Now he's, he's this, this powerful, wild uh, guy with all this strength and energy and, and skill, and he's moving with power, and he's, he's like going crazy. He's jumping over mountains. He's leaping over hills. He's... he's He's out there just doing stuff she didn't even think was possible. She's like, whoa. She's beginning to just be like, ex just see him in a completely different way than she had seen him up until this moment. She sees him as, as Jesus overcoming every obstacle to her heart. There's nothing he won't do to come after me. He's defeated all my enemies to come for me and to make himself known to me. And to make him, to make me his. And all and she realizes all of a sudden that all the distance between between herself and her beloved has been has been completely diminished by Jesus. That that he has he has blown through all of this all, all of the things that, that originally she felt like stood between the two of them. He's just leapt over it all. And now he's hers. She says he's like a gazelle or a young stag, so he's fast. He never slips or falls. He's, he never messes up. He doesn't make a mistake, and he never gets tired. He's powerfully, wildly alive. And, and, and he's, he's, but there's this sense of kind of like this uncontrollability of Jesus. So she's in awe. She's kind of like going, wow. But at the same time, she's getting a little frightened by the fact that, okay, he's, he's kind of out there, like, He's kind of powerful. Like, like, I don't, I don't know that I can really put limits on him. Does that make sense? Like, she sees him and she's like, man, I don't, he's a little bit scary. I was, you know, you got to go back to C.S. Lewis and the, and 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 Aslan and she, and and he's leaving at the end of of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and they're like, what? Where's he going? Like. What, what's going on? And I think it's Tom that says says to him, "Oh well, he he does that. He doesn't stick around. He, he just comes and goes as he pleases. You know, he's not a tame lion." He says, "He's not, we don't control him." <coughs> but then Lucy or whoever he's talking to says, "No, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. He's good." See, we got to understand that in a relationship with Jesus, we are not in control. He is in control. He is out of our control and we are in his. And he gets to do whatever he wants. And right now what he wants is he's coming after us. And it's a little frightening how much of us he seems to desire, how much of me he wants to come after. He's bounding over mountains. 
He's jumping over hills and mountains to come toward us. I mean, just think, it's like, whoa, geez, wow. Like, I mean, your, your approach is a little bit aggressive here, Jesus. And he's just coming into our, just crashing into our lives with this assurity of, you belong to me. And, it, and, and there's, there's, there's mixed awe and fear in this, and, and in the same, you know, pleasure and fear in the same, uh, in the same sentence. I, I love that about this, where she's like, wow, he's amazing. And I'm kind of scared about it. Like, oh, simultaneously scared and really deeply delighted and satisfied. And, uh, there he is all of a sudden in verse nine, he's standing behind the wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. Okay. So there's this picture of he has come as close as I'll let him come. And I love this picture of Jesus that like he comes right up to the door. I mean, I can, I can, I think of, um, all I could think of when I was, when I was going back over this again today was, uh, was the Leonardo DiCaprio and, and, and Claire Danes, Romeo and Juliet. Have you seen, have you seen that? And there's this scene where he's like climbing along the lattice of this wall and he's trying to get like, he's just trying to like get where he can talk to her and she keeps like moving and he's, he's just like, just trying to find a way into where she is and, and, and he can't, and, and I, that was the picture that Jesus is like, he's like looking through every window, you know, she, he knows she's inside and he's looking through every window like, Hey, you know, <laughs> and he's, he's like, he's, he's, he's got his head up against the, up against the glass. Hey, what are you, I want in, you know, and, 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 and she's like, Oh my gosh, he's right outside. You know, and she's kind of freaking out and, and, and he's just looking, he's, he's peering around. He's, he's, he's every single, every single thing that looks like it might be an opportunity for him to get past the wall that she's put up to him uh, he's trying to get past he's looking through the lattice he's like reaching through the 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 holes in the lattice going come on come on come with me he's looking through the windows he's pressing his face against the glass he's going come on let's go you know he's she didn't understand that there was a wall but there is she saw him coming all of a sudden she's there's a wall He's gazing longingly past our defenses, past our apathy, past our fear, our shame, past our guilt, past all that we put in his way. And the book of Revelation says that his eyes are like burning lamps of fire. Can you see that look on his face? Like, I, I want you. Have you ever felt pursued by God? There's nothing better than feeling like God is chasing you down. It's simultaneous. It's again, it's that place of simultaneous fear and delight. Like, oh my gosh, God's really after me. I remember a few years ago, and I think Brandon would be okay with me sharing this, but uh, uh, we were doing the the prophetic rooms and uh, um, at at home missions, and Brandon Wilder was there, and I I just got this picture of this roaring lion just running towards him like with like with all of its ferocity just ah! and i and and i i i tried to like tone that picture down when i was talking it's like god's really after you he's pursuing you he's everything he's getting trying wants to get everything out of the way so he can get get to you and 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 that's all i said in the in the prayer time and after we left i ran into brandon later and the holy spirit was like you need to tell him the picture because you didn't communicate the ferocity of my, of my pursuit of him. 
And so I said, actually, you, and I told him the picture and he kind of gulped real loud, like, oh, geez, here we go. <laughs> like he, Because I had this picture of the, Jesus chasing <laughs> him down, like a lion going after a gazelle, like he's got his, his, his eyes fixed on on your jugular in a way. It's like, I know that the, these kind of images, he's the lover, he's like a lion, you know, it's like, I don't even know. But this is that, this is his being pursued by you, by God. That God's after you. And not just after the part of you that you're ready to give him. No, he's after the all of you. He's after 100% of you. He's after the, the rooms you've closed off to him. He's after the things that you don't want to talk to him about. He's after the parts of your life that are, well, I'm just fine back here, Jesus. You don't need to talk to me. That, that part of my life isn't that. No, he's after, he wants to take every fear that's in you and just, just rattle it right out of you. This is one of the things that I love to do as a leader is to find out something that somebody that I'm in leadership over is afraid of and to make them do it. I Don't I, Danae? You know, I love to to do this. I love to find something that makes you go, no, no, I'm not doing that. And I go, oh, here we go. (laughs) And not out of, it's not a sadistic thing. It's like, no, you do not know how, how powerful you are. You can do anything. And I love to put people in those situations where they're completely uncomfortable and watch them succeed because I know they can. I would never put them in a place where they were going to be embarrassed, ever. I would never, ever do that. But if I see in them that they have the capacity to do more than they ever thought and they're letting fear or anxiety stand in their way, I love to just move right past their insecurity and go, you're going to do this with me. I remember... Few years ago, it was another home missions thing, and I was, and uh, I went up to this kid and said, "Guess what? You're sharing a testimony tonight." <laughs> and 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 he's like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> I said, "Yes, you are." I said, "You have two hours, and you need to have something ready by then." He was furious with me. He was absolutely furious. Like I had never seen this this kid mad. Ever. And he was ticked. <laughs> For two reasons. One, that I was going to make him do it whether he wanted to or not. And two, that he knew God wanted him to do it. That was the other, pro- that was the other problem. That he knew it wasn't just me, that this was the Holy Spirit. Like, the whole- God had already talked to him about doing it, and he said no. And I came after him and said, I'm going to make you. <laughs> you know? See, that's the way, that's, that's, when, when people showed up at home missions, I always said, it's either my way or you go home. So, that's what it's going to be. But that's, that's kind of this picture of Jesus. He's, he's, he's waiting for her. He desires her. He, he's coming when she did not expect him. This was not a, this is not a prearranged visit. I love that about Jesus. He's, you know, he's calling her out of her place of comfort and stillness and, and, oh, no, 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 you don't get to lie under the apple tree forever. He's calling her out and he's standing there waiting for her. He's prepared for action and he wants a partner. He wants all of her. He's jealous for her. You know, the, that song that we sing, you know, he is jealous for me. At the Fremont Church last week, 
was my installation service, which was really, really emotional day. But because I wasn't preaching, I told the worship leader that I would co-lead with her. And she wanted to do How He Loves. And I said, that's fine. I said, but you need to know something. Now that I'm the pastor of this church, this is a slappy, wet church. And she was like, she was like, no. I said, oh, yes. I said, you will not sing Unforeseen Kiss in my church. She was like, she was like, I can't move. She she goes, well, if you're co-leading, then you could lead that song. I said, gladly. She was like, I can't believe you're making a sing sloppy wet. She was so upset with me. I didn't care. I said, that's just the way it's going to be, honey. And I'm going to teach on Song of Solomon sometime, and you're going to get used to it. He's gazing through the windows. Every point of entry to her life he will use to influence her to come out of that place of comfort and lethargy. He's revealing himself to her as much as he can to entice her out. He wants her with him, but she won't come. He's looking through the lattice. He's looking through the bars of our self-created prison. And he's calling us to come out. The door is unlocked. You can leave whenever you want. This prison of shame, this prison of fear, this prison of insecurity, this prison of a lack of trust of my leadership. You built this prison and you own all the keys and you can come out whenever you're ready to come out. He's reaching through the bar saying, come on, there's no reason to stay in there any longer. Verse 10, my beloved responded and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. This is this call. He's saying, leave your place of comfort and come jump over the mountains with me. He displayed his wildness and power to her, and now he's inviting her into it. Is that insane? He's inviting her into it. You saw me do the impossible. Now do you want to do the impossible? That's what he's saying. He's inviting her to do the impossible. I always think about the apostle Peter in the boat in the middle of the storm. <laughs> Jesus comes walking out on the water. It's this perfect picture of this, of, of this very moment. And Jesus is walking out on the water towards them in the boat. And, and, and John's like, it's, it's Jesus. It's John was always the first to recognize when it was Jesus, when no one else did. I think that's why he was John the Beloved. They really do. Because he knew it was Jesus before anybody else. John says, it's Jesus. And Peter says, if it's really you, call me to come out on the water to you. Now, Peter was such an idiot. <laughs> I love the man. I, I think he's amazing. But he just always put his foot in his mouth. And I think as soon as he said it, he was like, oh, what did I just say? And Jesus just says, come. And this is that moment. Arise, my beloved, come away with me. I'm doing the impossible, but I want you with me. Come walk in the water with me. Come jump over mountains with me. Come defeat all your enemies with me. Let's do this together. You said you wanted to run with me. Let's run. And she's completely freaked out by his request. Even though she asked for it, she is freaked out by his request. And she does not, she's, she's, she's still unable to respond with a yes. 
Verse 11, he says, Behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for the pruning of the vines, and the voice of the turtle dove has been heard in our land. In other words, we are at a shift of season. The way that we walked together before was delightful and wonderful and it will always be precious to us, but it is time for our relationship to look different than it has before. I am very much in the smack middle of this kind of a season right now myself. Where I was in a place of ministry that I was totally comfortable in, that I was enjoying, that I, you know, and Jesus says, come jump over a mountain with me. Leave that church where you have this wonderfully you know, position where you can do lots of ministry and have, you know, lots of ministry, a little responsibility. It was kind of beautiful. And Jesus says, no, come on. I, I, I want to invite you into danger with me. There it's easy. Come walk in the water with me. And so I go and to a church with a hundred people in it where I'm the only person on staff and if this thing crashes, guess what? It's probably my fault, you know? I mean, it's just like, that. That's it's a really scary but really exciting moment in my life. But this is exactly how I feel, that Jesus came to my window. He came to my lattice and said, are you ready to stop being comfortable and come jump over mountains with me? It isn't that Jesus didn't enjoy our time together in that place of, he did, but there is more that he wants to show me. It's a shift of season, and I've removed the barriers, he said. It's time for us to move from one place in this relationship to another. The season of sitting under the apple tree, it's over. It's over. time to move from one thing to another out of a season of comfort and regularity to a season where you're going to have to believe me you're going to have to trust me and there is real danger now the truth is are we ever in danger when we're holding the hand of jesus absolutely not but it certainly feels safer in the boat than it does walking on the water the wind and the waves didn't change. You realize that? The wind and the waves did not change. Peter in the boat, Peter out of the boat, the wind and the waves stayed the same. But all of a sudden, when he goes out of the boat, now he notices the wind and the waves. It's like, oh, geez, what was I thinking? And then he begins to sink because he takes his eyes off of Jesus and realizes, you know, there's real honest physical danger for me out here. Now, was there really? No, because Jesus was there. But it is a lot harder to trust him when you're standing on the water than it is when you're sitting in the boat. And Jesus is calling for a removal of all of the crutches that we've put up just in case he doesn't come through. I'm going to say that again because I think that's a prophetic word for some of you in this room. Jesus is calling for a removal of all of the crutches that you have put up to save yourself just in case Jesus doesn't come through.
says in verse 13, the fig tree has ripened its figs. The vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, he calls her again. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. He calls her, it's a beginning time. It is a, it's a, it's, it's springtime is what he's talking about. It's, it's the time where you, we need to be planting. If we're looking forward to a harvest, we need to be making investment now. And you are wasting time. Mike Bickle has a phrase that, that to this day haunts my nightmares. And the phrase is this, wasting time is wasting destiny. I hate you, Mike Bickle. <laughs> how dare you challenge my comfort and how dare you stand stand outside and, and point at me and you know tell wasting time is wasted destiny and you know oh you jerk <laughs> that's why procrastination is a sin Oh, I hurt somebody with that statement. Mostly me. It's the beginning time. It's the time of planting, the time of new things. But you need to hear this, because in both both times he called her, what is what is he what has he spoken to her? My darling, my beautiful one. Hear this. He is not coming to her and rebuking her for being less than she ought to be. That's not what's going on. A lot of people, when Jesus comes and says, let's go to the next season, we receive that as a rebuke like we're not enough. Like he doesn't love us or like, like we have to work harder to get him to love us. And that's not the case. He is speaking to her, calling her out of her place of comfort in the context of his desire for her. In the context of, 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 his, his, of his confession of her beauty, of, her, of, her, of how delightful she is to him. And this call is not about telling her what she's not. This call is, telling, is about telling her what she could be. It's about, it's about um, what, what she could become, what she could accomplish. It's... it's it's about calling her into the destiny that he has dreamt over her. It's calling her. It's pointing out the fact that she has potential within her that is yet untapped. That she is more than she ever thought she was. And she doesn't realize it, but he does. And it's because he loves her that he can't let her be less than she is. This is another thing that, that we need to think about when it comes to normal human marriage. I believe one of the greatest callings of the human husband is to see the potential in his bride that she does not see and to call her to live up to it. I really do. And that's what Jesus does. He sees who, who he could make us He's been dreaming over you since before the foundations of the world. He's had your name inscribed in the palm of his hand since before the foundations of the world. As he hung on the cross, he could see your face and he knows who you are. 
And he's calling you to who you really are, not who you're ready to settle for being. He's calling us to live a life of no regrets. A life that never says, boy, I wish I had actually done that. The things people regret far more than the things that they've done is the things that they never did. He's calling her to the destiny he created her for. It's his dream for her, but he's also calling her to the destiny that she desires. It's her dream for herself. It's the woman she's always known she could be. And Jesus is saying, yes, you can and so much more, but you can't do it lying there. You have to get up and do this with me. And then you could be far more than you ever believed you could. I think about women that there's this stage in childbirth called transition. Interesting, isn't it? Where they go from labor being about preparing her body to deliver to actual honest delivery, where the baby's beginning to be pushed out. And that's the moment, that moment of transition, where you see on TV the woman going, I can't do it, I can't, I can't do it. Because... She's already physically exhausted from the process that she's gone through to get to the place where she's actually ready to give birth. All that's left is the most traumatic part. <laughs> Truly. But it's also the quickest part. Once you're through transition, things move very fast. And that's it's in that place where she's going, I can't do it, I can't do it. And, and you know, guys, you know, the, like the dad has to be there to say, you can do it. I know you can do it. You're so strong. You know, you can, you can do it. Now, my wife had all C-sections. So the first, well, not, not by choice. The first, the first uh, Isaac, he crushed his umbilical cord with his head in the midst of labor. And so he was, his heart rate went, and they said, we got to get him out right now. Oh, it's one of the scariest moments of my life. I remember they took her. She, they said that to her, Rachel, we need to get him out right now. And she turns to me and says, is that okay? And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like I was going to be disappointed with her that she, I was like, honey, of course, what are you talking about? You know? And so they, they, they just wheeled her out of the room we were in to take her to the OR and they hand me some scrubs and stuff. And they're like, We'll come and get you when it's time for you to come in. Change into these. So I'm in there changing into, into those scrubs going, is my wife going to die? Is my son going to die? I have no idea what's about to happen. This is an emergency. I'm freaking out. I don't know what's about to happen. It was really, really crazy. But after that, her doctor said, we're not even going to try natural childbirth because it just not a good idea so we're just gonna so she had four c-sections which is not better it's worse <laughs> trust me it's worse you get to pick your kid's birthday that's the only perk <laughs> the rest of it sucks recovery is 10 times worse anyway but it's that moment where she thinks she can't go on as she is the closest to being done 
And that's where she's at. He's going, you can do this. Come on. Let's go a little bit farther. I just want you to come with me. Listen to the way that he talks to her. He never gets angry. He never gets frustrated. He never yells at her, you stupid girl, don't you understand? No, that never happens. In fact, he gets softer and softer. Oh, my dove. In the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Oh, hear him singing this over you. The desire of Jesus to see your face. The desire of Jesus to hear your voice. In the place of worship. In the place of prayer. He longs for you. It's easy to understand that we long for him. He's infinitely desirable, but he longs for you. And he says with honesty, just the bald confession of his soul is, your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. He enjoys you even in her place of weakness where she's still refusing him. He says to her, your voice is sweet. Your face is love. Do you hear him saying that over you? Let me see your face. He calls her my dove. We talked about what that means. He says she's the one, she's in the cleft of the rock. He put her there. The secret place between the two of them. That's they this was their place. And he's calling her out of it. He loves that she's there. That that's where he found her. The place where they encountered one another before, that that's where he finds her. He loves that. He's not angry with her that that's where he finds her. He just wants her to keep coming. See, the the fact that she is there in that secret place, the fact that she is in that place of intimacy, that's why he's calling her out. That's That was the, the prerequisite of jumping on the mountains. It's intimacy that brings authority. Intimacy is the birthplace of authority. The only reason you can shout the gospel from the mountaintops is because you heard him whisper in your ear. 
He loves that we dwell. He wants a bride that will go to the place of intimacy and wait for him. He loves that. He's not mad at her that she's in the secret place. He wanted her there. He put her there. He loved that she went there, but now is another season, and he's calling her out from there, carrying the strength that she gained there to go with him to do something that before she had been to that place would have been impossible for her to imagine. Intimacy creates authority. One of my favorite, there's, there's two places in scripture that kind of speak to this. And one is when, when Gabriel, the archangel, meets John the Baptist's father in, in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And he says to him, you know, John, he tells him, your, your wife's going to have a baby and you're going to name, you need to name him John. Nah, 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 and then, John the Baptist's dad, I think his name is Zechariah, but I can't remember right now, looks at, looks at Gabriel and says, how do I know that this is going to come true? And Gabriel gets mad. Gabriel's like, I am Gabriel. And then this is his badge of authority right here, the next phrase. Who stands in the presence of God. That's, that's his badge of authority as an angel. You don't understand. I am Gabriel who stands next to the throne. If anybody knows what's going on, it's me, buddy. You don't ask me that question. How dare you not believe what I have to say? I stand in the presence of God. Is that your badge of authority? When you talk to somebody about Jesus, when you talk to, to somebody who you, needs to be ministered to, are you Jer that stands in the presence of God? Because if you're not, you've got no authority, period. Intimacy equals authority. No intimacy equals no authority. Unless I can stand in the pulpit and say, I'm Josh who stands in the presence of God, then I have no business being in the pulpit. That's where she is. It's a beautiful thing that she's there. That's where he wants her. But now, however, he's left the place of intimacy and he's drawing her out. His desire for her has not changed, but the context of their intimacy has now changed. I've been thinking over that song, Pieces. It says, you don't give your heart in pieces. You don't hide yourself to tease us. And there's this kind of teaching out there that, oh, when you can't find Jesus, it's just he's hiding himself so that you'll come after him. Well, that's not true. That's what the song is saying, is that's not true. Jesus doesn't hide himself. And they're right. That's not true. But we hide ourselves. You see, all the distance that we feel between us and God, we put it there. We'll talk about that a little more in a little bit. He doesn't give his heart in pieces, but we give ours in pieces. And he doesn't want it that way. 
then he says this weird phrase, just like it just it's um, Jesus turns and says, oh, catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, here's the thing. You see, when the vineyards were set up and they were beginning to flower, there were these little foxes in Israel that would run along the vines and would eat the flowers and then no grapes would come. And they're just these little foxes. They're not big, mean animals. They're not kind of some kind of scary thing. They're just these little animals, but they would do terrible damage to a whole vine. And this is what Jesus is saying is, the time for letting go of the little things is over. You don't get to just give a pass to the little things anymore. Fruitfulness is on the line. The destiny that you have asked for, the destiny that you desire, and the destiny that I desire for you is on the line. It is time to get those little foxes out of the vineyard as they must not be there. Or else fruitfulness will not happen. And when he, it's almost like a prayer. You see, the Holy Spirit is like the silent partner in this whole conversation. Which we'll talk about him a little bit more a little later too. But the Holy Spirit is kind of the silent. Jesus is speaking to the Holy Spirit in this moment. Catch for us the foxes, he says. He says, all right. It's time. This is an important season where the little things must be attended to or fruitfulness. Destiny will be lost. There are still levels of love she's not prepared to give. There are small places, little things that she is not willing to give him. And then she finally responds to him. This is the first time she's spoken the entire this entire piece. And she says, my beloved is mine and I am his. She, she affirms her love for him. She still loves him. She's kind of saying, why can't we just hang out here? I'm still yours and this place is pretty great. Let's just stay. She says, he pastures his flock among the lilies. What he's, that means, let's stay. Here in the garden, let's stay here. Until the cool of the day when the shadows flee. Come on, let's just hang out here. And then she gives him her answer. Her fine, Is this your final answer? Yes, turn, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains. I love you, but I'd rather sit here and watch you jump over the mountains without me. I'm not ready to go there. Oh, punch in the gut for Jesus right there. Turn. He's standing at the wall. He's looking through the window and she's like, I'm not ready. Not, not not now, not yet. It's like he pulled out the wedding ring and got down on one knee and she's like, listen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she rejected him. Kind of. She's like, I love you. I do. I'm just not ready to get married. That's basically, you know, I mean, no, they were already married, but the, just this, this thing of, she's like, I'm not ready. I, I can't go there yet. Wow. She tells him, no, I'm not coming. 
And before you judge her, I want you to think about how many times you've done this exact same thing, where Jesus comes along and says, believe me for this. Let's go to this place. Let's do that. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> you're cool and all, but no, I'm not, no. <laughs> We've all done it. Every single one of us has done it. Every single one of us has said, turn, my beloved. We stop saying, let him kiss me. And we say, you know, mountains are your thing. Ouch. Ouch. So he does. He does. Now, chapter three. This is the fifth stage of her journey. And that was the fourth stage. Him putting his finger on her comfort zones and saying, I want you out of there. Okay, stage five. She experiences God's discipline. Ooh. Here we go. Ready? On my bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. I have in my note, typical woman, she says no, and now she's looking for him. <laughs> I don't want to go, but I don't want you to go either. So true. I don't, don't want to go. Where'd you go? Why'd you leave me? Just go away. And then you walk out. She's like, why did you leave? <laughs> Men, we need to understand for, for a man, okay, for most men, this isn't true of all men, but for most men, Words are used to convey information. <laughs> for a woman, understand, for a woman, most women, this isn't true of all women, for most women, words are used to point you towards information. They don't actually give you information. They just hint at information. <laughs> The information's over there. Just go find it. Yes. Yes. Amen. 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 If a woman says fine, it's not fine. Okay. <laughs> Understand. Okay, guys. Guys, guys are direct. Most of us. Okay. This isn't true of all men because I I know several guys who are not this way at all, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but most guys are very direct if I want to tell you something I'm just going to say it to you and I might beat around the bush a little bit like because I feel bad about saying something to you but but, but I am eventually just going to say it okay women will circle the thing 18 times <laughs> and expect you to know what's in the middle of that circle but never actually tell you and there has been more than once okay I, I have done this to my wife multiple times where I actually know what's in the middle of the circle and I will say, you have to say it. Oh my God. And, and she gets so furious with me because it's showing, I don't know if she feels like it's rude or that why, why would I, I don't, I don't know exactly. She thinks it's rude. I don't, I don't know exactly. But, but there's, now I've only done this in specific situations like where usually it's something that 
she I want her to eat crow about it a little bit like I was right and she was wrong and 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 and, and I'm you know and she finally has to you know she refused my help earlier and now she needs my help but she will not actually say that and I will just be like you're going to have to ask me to do this for you. She'd be like, will you do this for me? Yes, I would be happy to. <laughs> I win. <laughs> right? Nobody wins in a situation like that. Oh, no, I win. Um, <laughs> but most of the time, understand, guys, you cannot just take a woman. You, she did. Most of the time, women are not going to just tell you what they're trying to say. They're not, they just don't do that. That's not how women communicate. Women point at what they're trying to say, and they want you to figure it out. It means, and if you can, you are the man. <laughs> I mean it, truly. Like, if you figure it out, they're going to love you like crazy. Oh, you know! You know, it's just like, she wants to be a mystery that you have to riddle out. That's what she wants to be. Okay. <laughs> there are four elephants over there. <laughs> That's what she wants to be. She wants to be a mystery that you are spending time figuring out. You see, men aren't that way. We're not. We're not, we're not interested in being mysterious. the The issue is no. See, the issue is because. <laughs> Our directness confuses women just as much as their indirectness confuses us. Oh my gosh, it's so true though. Okay, because, because we're being very direct. We couldn't say it any more directly than we're saying it. One plus one is two. And she goes, what does he mean by that? It's so true! Yes! I don't understand him. What do you mean you don't understand me? I don't know how to say this anywhere clearly. Well, the problem is you aren't being mysterious enough. <laughs> because what women are always doing is thinking about what did they really mean by that statement. And when, when they're talking about other women, that makes sense because they do mean other things by their statements. But most men do not. Most men just mean what they're saying and say what they mean. Okay? That's the way it is. Yeah. Um, like when men are very, very quiet... You know, and then yes. there's nothing going on in their Nothing. Like, what's going on? And then they're like, nothing. And then we think that they're lying to us. Because right. Because, because when a woman is quiet, it's very bad. <laughs> when a woman is not speaking... Bad things are happening. It's that is one way. That is one way that women and children are very are are close to each other. When you cannot hear a child, now shh. Understand, I am speaking in generalizations. Not every woman is this way, and not every man is this way. But normally, okay, men. Men have a box that we go to that has nothing in it, and we like that box. And he, the best way to annoy a man is to come stomping into our nothing box. That is that is the best way. One of our nothing boxes is video games, okay? So we're sitting there playing video games, not thinking about anything, and then you stand there, are you going to do this? Are you going to get to that? Are you going to do this? Oh, my gosh, nothing makes us more angry. <laughs> You're in my nothing box. And I, I will say that to my wife. You have, tre you have trespassed. You have trespassed in my nothing box. He said nothing makes us more angry. Don't make me hit you, Maureen. You know what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> Telling you. You don't walk in my nothing box. Alright. Well, see, and we have, I have three sons. Okay? And sometimes when Rachel will say, Isaac, can you take the garbage out? Of course, Mom. And he does it. No problem. And sometimes when she says, Isaac, can you take the garbage out? He is furious. And, I, and she's like, what is his problem? I said, he was in his nothing box. This doesn't make any sense. She's still, I've talked to her about this concept a thousand times. She does not understand it. I don't know how to be mysterious. When you're in your nothing box, get a box and actually sit in the box. It's not how it works. All right. Okay. I just, I just find that interesting because just the one verse before this, she says, go away. And now she's looking for him. Okay. On my bed, at, at night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. Okay. Now check this out. The Lord calls us out of our complacency and we say no, but then we wonder where he went. How often... Do we, how often do we tell Jesus to go away and then say, why can't I feel you? Because you told me to go away. A lot of times when people, when, when people will say to me, boy, my, my devotion time or my worship is just really dry right now. I will just look at him and say, what's the last thing Jesus asked you to do that you didn't do? And they'll be like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Well, you might want to do it. See, Jesus, Jesus is off doing what he invited you to go do with him. Go join him. Yeah. So if Jesus is a gentleman, does that mean when we tell him to go away, he actually does? And yeah. That's why we can't feel him? Yes. That's like a whole thing for me right now. I never thought of it like that. So that Jesus will leave if you tell him to. That is why I do not believe in what's called, you know, like the, the whole irresistible grace and the... And the and, Okay, there's there's doctrines in in that there's two doctrines in the Calvinist mindset called one's called irresistible grace and the other one's called the perseverance of the saints. Okay, irresistible grace means that if you're one of the elect, you will get saved whether you want to or not. Perseverance of the saints. Now that's a very very simplistic view of that doctrine. Perseverance of the saints says once you're saved, you are always saved no matter what. Now, once again, that's a very simplistic explanation of the doctrine. And it's actually not the way Calvin would have taught it, although Calvin didn't create the whole ear, the tulip thing. Somebody else did later. But You guys know what I'm talking about when I say tulip? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because multiple times in Scripture, God puts the choice out there. He says, I lay before you. Life and death. Choose life. He wants us to, to say yes to him, and he allows us to say no. That's why there were, there's, were two trees in the garden. He gave us the opportunity to say no to him. That's what love does. Love says, this is what I want for you, and this is what's best for you, but I will let you make the decision. It's a pretty big deal. 
we can walk away from Jesus if we so choose. He will. He will chase us down. He will talk to us. He'll put stop signs in front of us. He'll do everything he can possibly do to keep us from leaving. But in the end, he will let us go. He's not going to force us to love him. He won't do it. And she says, that's why, you want to know why she couldn't find him? The first three words explain, on my bed, I sought him. Okay, that's not where he is. He came to the window and you didn't let him in, honey. So that's why he's not in your bed. Why are you surprised? But she is. Where is he? I miss him. You told him to leave. Okay, but this is what we do when, when things kind of dry up. When we step out of, out of, remember, it is you stepping out of relationship with him, not the other way around. He's in. He's there when you want him to be. You stepped away. Okay? But a lot of times when we get to that place, we start going back to the old places that we encountered him before. A worship song that led us into his presence at some point in the past and we'll pull it up and start listening to it and sing it at the top of our lungs and nothing happens. Or we'll go pray a prayer that we prayed before or, or we'll, li we'll listen to a sermon we listened to before or we'll go to a camp that we had gone to before. But the truth is you are out of alignment with him. You made that decision. Until repentance takes place, you will not connect with him again. You have to say yes to him again before you can be connected with him again. Jesus is not going to, he's not going to play a game with you like, oh, I still love you and, and whatever. He does still love you, but he's not going to come over and be like, we're okay when you're not. He just won't do that. So we go back to old places of encounter, old ways of encounter, old revelations, old understandings. You know, it worked the last time. <laughs> We don't find him. I did not find him, it says. Jeremiah 29, 13. Anybody know that verse? Yes, I will You will seek me. You will find me when what? With all your heart. She wasn't seeking with all her heart. That's the issue. She was going to the boundary of what she was willing to do and she wouldn't go past it and he was nowhere to be found and she was shocked by this. She didn't understand it. Where'd he go? I did not find him, she says. Please understand that all of the distance between us and God is our distance. We own the distance between us and God. Us. God has not pushed us away from him. And when you hear people say that, God hid from me. No, he did not. <coughs> he called you to go forward and you didn't go. It's not God hiding. If it's hide and seek, it's involuntary hide and seek. God is not hiding. He invited you a thousand times to go. You said no. And so there you are. The problem here is not God. We are the problem. We have not sought him with our whole heart. There's a sermon by a preacher that I'm really enjoying right now. His name's Brian Zond. 
The sermon's called Losing Jesus. My gosh, I cried like a little girl when I listened to this sermon. But it talks about Mary, Jesus' mother. When he was 12 years old, they took him to Jerusalem to have him dedicated. Or no, I mean, it, that's not, that's no, wrong, wrong, wrong thing. They just took him to Jerusalem because it was Passover. The whole family was going to Jerusalem. Jesus went too, okay? They were there for a couple days, and then they leave. And they get a, a, a day's journey down the road out of Jerusalem before they realize, oops, Jesus isn't with us. Now, they would travel in large family caravans, and that's why. So Jesus had cousins and aunts and uncles and friends and whatever. That he And, and I'm sure Mary and Joseph thought, oh, they're just with that. With he, oh, Jesus is just with his buddy. But the end of the day, when Jesus should be showing up because it's supper time or whatever, he should be, you know, they can't find him. So they go around and talk to everybody in their group. No, I haven't seen Jesus today. No, I haven't seen Jesus today. I haven't, we haven't seen Jesus today. Well, Mary and Joseph are freaking out. Where's Jesus? So they go running back to Jerusalem and they search for a couple days. And they finally go to the temple and there he is having conversation with the scribes and the, and the Pharisees and, the, you know, talking to them about God. And when they get to Jesus, and of course they do the, the natural parent thing, oh, I'm so glad I've seen you. Why did you run away from me? You know, just that, it's that, it's that <laughs> relief followed by sheer anger. Why would you do this to us, Mary says. And Jesus looks at her like she's crazy. And he says to her, why were you worried? Didn't you know where I would be? I'm doing what my father's business. Why are you surprised by that? And it was in that moment that she realized that it was that Jesus it wasn't Jesus' fault that she lost him, it was hers. She didn't understand him like she thought she did. She didn't connect with who he really was the way that, the, that she thought she had. And if she had really known him, she would have known exactly where he was. And so she had to change the way. That day, she had to change the way that she thought about Jesus. See, Jesus didn't change. Mary did. She had to rethink him completely. Several years down the road, Jesus is in the middle of his public ministry and Mary and the, and the brothers show up to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm not going to talk to them. The Bible says that Mary and Jesus' brothers thought he was crazy, thought he had gone out of his mind. <coughs> and again, Jesus is unrepentant about the fact of who he is and what he's supposed to be doing. And once again, Mary had to completely rethink what she thought of who he was. Once again, Jesus wasn't the one that was lost. Mary was, but she didn't realize it. Then the third time was when Jesus went to die on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And again, once again, Mary had to completely rethink who Jesus was. And the point of the sermon was real simple. When we lose Jesus, it's not because of Jesus.
It may be that you need to rethink him completely, that you didn't understand him like you thought you did. And you need to spend some time putting down your old preconceptions of who he was and finding out who he really is. Because Jesus didn't change. You did. And that's the position that this woman is in right now. She thought she understood her beloved, but she didn't. So she says, I must arise now. She gets it. It clicks in her brain. He's not here because I told him to go away. So she gets up out of her bed. Finally, she's willing to move toward him. He came all the way to her and she said, go away. So now she realizes that she's the one that has to change where she is and what she's doing. So she says, I must arise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. So now she gets up. Now she gets out of bed. Her desire finally overrides her fear. Incredible things can happen when desire overrides fear. Unbelievable things can happen when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. So she gets up. Sometimes when the Lord seems distant, it's all about stirring us to the place of hunger and seeking. Notice, however, that she didn't go to the mountains. He told her where he was going to be. Didn't he? Didn't he? But she doesn't go there. That's where he said he would be. That's where he wanted her to go, but she doesn't go that far. She gets out of bed and goes around the city, and she doesn't find him. Then she runs into the watchman. The watchman who made the rounds in the city found me. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Now the watchman and the daughters of Jerusalem in this book are the church. They're pastors, other ministries, people that people we encounter in the church. So she goes, she finally asks someone else. She asks the watchman. She had been unwilling to ask them before. Remember the last time that she mentions the other people? Remember she says, why should... Where have you gone? Why should I be standing next to the flocks of your friends? She she doesn't want to talk to them. But remember, his instruction to her was to go and, and talk to his <laughs> friends, and then she would find where he was. Well, she remembers that, so she talks to the watchman. And now, verse 4, scarcely had I left them when I found him. Now check this out. She did not. She still did not go to the mountains. But she had said yes to him as much as she could in that place. And Jesus came running back to get her. Jesus is really, you do not understand what it means in the heart of Jesus when you give him the best yes that you have. It's not the full yes. It's not the, it's not the I'm going to the, jump over the mountains with you, Jesus. It's not that yet. But it was still a yes. It was still, a, I will leave my place of comfort 
And Jesus says, oh, and not only that, she talked to the watchman. Oh, Jesus is loving it. He comes running back to her. Remember what I said about, you know, when a little kid's learning to walk and you're like, you stupid little kid. Even when a, when, when a kid just makes moves towards what you want them to do. You remember that video where we laid the candy on the ground all the way into the... <laughs> that was a stupid video. <laughs> it was... That was our how not to evangelize video. <laughs> we said one way not to one of the not ways not to evangelize was to like leave a trail of candy up to. When they got to the end, there I was standing there with the Bible open. I was like, "Can I talk to you about Jesus?" <laughs> My favorite is the way Logan Shank looks in that video. <laughs> He's so funny. He's so like cute. He has really long Bieber hair. <laughs> That's why Paige wouldn't take him even after he got saved. <laughs> so he rushes. To us. <laughs> it was in the video, not in real life. <laughs> in the video, she flirts with him to get him to come to Jesus, and then he, she won't go out with him. <laughs> they pray for salvation together. He's like, now can we go out? She's like, no, but aren't you glad you're saved? Now she finds him. Oh, wait a minute. I got. Okay. So now she finds him and she will not let him go. Scarcely had I found him. Left them when I found him whom my soul loves, I held on to him and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. <coughs> okay, I'll talk about that in a minute. The Lord knows how to lead our hearts and desire back into desire for him, He knows how to get us to come out of our place of comfort and move from one season to another. He knows what He's doing. He's the best leader in the world. And there have been, I've been in the middle of seasons that made no sense to me whatsoever. And, and I, I'm looking at God going, what are you doing? And the Lord's like, trust me. And it is not easy to do. But you're not acting the way I thought you would act. Well, sorry, but remember, I haven't changed, but you have. He knows what he's doing. And she didn't move much, but she did move. It's all about that tiny little yes. That's what Jesus wants. He wants the yes you can give him right now. If it's not the full thing, if it's, if it's just, I believe, help my unbelief. He loves that. That's enough for now. But he's going to ask again tomorrow. That's one of my favorite stories in the Bible is that's, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he comes down and there's this guy whose son has a demon and the demon keeps throwing him into the fire and hurting him. And the disciples can't cast this demon out. They've tried and it doesn't sound working. And Jesus does this little short teaching on fasting, but then he looks at the guy and says, nothing's impossible with those that believe. And the guy says... 
I believe, help my unbelief. It's like, I'll do whatever I need to do. It's that place of desperation. I love that. Lord loves that place. It's that I held on to him and I would not let him go. I love Mary Magdalene after Jesus rises from the dead. Jesus has to actually say to her, let go of me. Because she's just got her arms wrapped around his waist. <laughs> You're not dead. And he's like, honey, I got to go back to my father. You got to let me go. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> she did what she could. She opened up a little and he rushed in. Now, the house of my mother, when she says, I took him to the house of my mother, okay, that's an ancient Eastern thing. That during the honeymoon, like not necessarily the first day, but eventually at some point during the honeymoon, they would go back to the mother's house and spend one of the nights of their honeymoon in their mother's house. I know. Not just her house, but her bed. I know, right? That's just like gross. Gross. I don't know why. That's just something they would do. The mother's bed. Yeah, they did. Okay, let me explain something to you. There was this thing, okay, which we don't really understand, but marriage was much more about procreation back then than it is now. Uh, having babies. It was much more about babies than, than it was now. And there were times when when someone would have more than one wife, etc., or maybe they would marry somebody who didn't have as much money, you know, where they would get married and then he would never sleep with her because he didn't want to have any children by her. And so they didn't have birth control 2,000 years ago. Birth control is not even 100 years old. Do you understand? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's brand new. Okay? But he didn't, because of like her status or because he was mad at her father or something, there could be a million reasons why he would not want to have children with her and so he wouldn't, he wouldn't sleep with her. Well, one way to make sure that they're actually doing the deed, okay, is to... Tell them they have to come back to my house in my bed. How would the mom know? There are ways to know. Next verse, the I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, okay? That line almost always follows what was a sexual encounter before in the in the poem. Almost always. 
So, and they say it right there in verse, yeah. So it's just kind of a clue. You know, it's like when the lights go out and, you know, next scene, but you know what just happened. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the mother's house. Yeah. Obviously, in the mother's bed, the like the daughter or son was conceived there, so that's why they think they're actually going to have kids because there was already a conception there. Well, right. in their mind, it that I mean, there's nothing you can do about if that doesn't create a child, but at least you know that they attempted once. Oh, okay. So that's that's very much part. <coughs> the Bible even has a record of of a moment. There's a couple times in the Bible that talk about, like, you know, this idea of making sure that they did what they needed to do to have a kid. Um, you know, so it's it was very, very important back then. Because the bigger your family, the better you were doing. That was just the truth. Um, There's a whole lot of reasons for that. Infant mortality was crazy. Like, some places as high as 50%. I mean, like, kids, not all the kids would live. Not only that, it was an agrarian culture, so the more people, more farmhands you had, the better, the better you could do. Also, it was a very violent culture, so the more kids you had, the more there people there were to fight and protect family and the land. So, more kids equaled better, always. There was no, there was nobody saying, "I think we're done." No, that never happened. the The end of childbearing years was was mourned. It was wept over. So, yeah, Ronnie. Because there's no birth control. Like that, Correct. Um, so, can I, what's the thing that the guys have to do now when they don't want kids? A vasectomy? Yeah. There wasn't that either. That? No. Oh. They're not, they're not the ways to conduct a child. Yeah, like, yeah but they, they wouldn't but want to. They wouldn't do it. <laughs> 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 Yes, there are. That's correct, but they wouldn't. That's what I'm saying. There, there's no way they would do that. Okay, they wouldn't do the natural way. No, they would not. They wanted more children. It was a man wanted his wife to be pregnant all the time. But understand something, ladies. The women wanted to be pregnant all the time too. It was the women that had the most babies, especially the most boy babies, that were of the highest status in their culture. Yes. That's why Leah was, that's why Rachel hated Leah so much. Because Rachel was the favorite wife, but Leah had ten boys. And Rachel says to God, give me a son or I die. She actually says that because, because that's how important it was to her. And that was out of that came Joseph. Yeah. So yeah, that you got to understand their perspective. That's how they felt. That's how they thought. But anyway, so this is a reference to. It was almost like a second honeymoon for them. She's like, I want to go back to the good old you know dates. Like we're going back to honeymoon. You know that was that's what she was doing. She goes, I wouldn't let him go until I brought him back to my mother's house. So it's like we're going back to the Bahamas. I mean, like it was like that, okay? I mean, you know, or the Poconos or wherever people go to their their honeymoon town. That was the deal. It was like this is going to happen. You're not getting away this time, okay? 
time is it? We really need to finish this next part, and it's not very long. So we're going to finish chapter 3. So verse 6. What is this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all scented powders of the merchant? Okay. That struggle that they've just gone through and the reconnection that they've had has led her to a new revelation of who he is. And this is it. This next few verses. She's beginning to understand something about him that she has never understood before. And it's poeticized in this next part of the, you know, it's, she expresses it poetically. Okay, so he's coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all scented powders of the merchant. So um, she, she sees him as a, as a leader. The column of smoke has a very, uh, you know, the pillar of the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. Okay, it's it's it harkens back to that. He's leading her. He realizes she's realizing now that he's a leader and that he's leading and he's a good leader and she can trust him. See, up until now, she didn't realize that she didn't trust him until he made until he tested her trust in him. And now she's realizing not only is he a good leader, but I can really trust him. Um, the pillar of smoke in the wilderness. She realizes his glorious leadership of her life and she delights in it. He, he is delightful. He's perfumed with myrrh and frankincense. Those are the two most expensive like spices of the day. They, he's, he's, he smells good. I'll follow him anywhere. <laughs> That's kind of the, you know, it's like... One of my one of my greatest glories of all time was, and you know we had we had like the the action in high school we had the most likely to succeed most likely you know that kind of thing. But our school paper did like an alternative most likely to, and I got two things. I got best smelling man. Yeah. That's a good honor to have. I was very happy about that. that. I was like I was like I was like thank you thank you yes. And I got most likely to be a cult leader, but that's uh, <laughs> that's something else. Uh. <laughs> you lead them with your good smell. <laughs> smell good and lethal. <laughs> I, well, in the official one, I got most likely to be a pastor. So that you know, but but you know, they were like pastor, psh, cult leader. <laughs> Uh, and everybody knew I was really super passionate and we and this was the middle of the renewal where really weird stuff was happening at the church you know the whole church would be laughing for an hour for no reason and that was people came to my church and were like what is going on here anyway Earlier on, she said of him, your name is like perfume poured out. And this is just kind of touching back to that place. It's his character, his nature, who he is that is delightful to her. She, she, he is a good leader and he's, she trusts him. She trusts his heart. He's not a tame lion, but he's good. It's that, it's that place of he's really good. I trust him. Verse 7, behold, it's the traveling couch of Solomon, or the palanquin of Solomon. Solomon, 60 men around it, 
of the mighty men of Israel. All of them are wielders of the sword, expert in war. Each man has his sword at his side, guarding against the terrors of the night. She's seeing him as a protector. That he can take care of her. She was the one that would be traveling in the in the palanquin of Solomon. You guys know what that is? It's one of those, like, when you see, like, you know, the Egyptians walking and they're carrying somebody on a couch. That was called a palanquin, okay? And, and, and she's... Solomon wasn't on the palanquin. He was bringing it to her so she could get on it and he could take her home. And she's with him, surrounding her, are his 60 best warriors to protect her as they journey back to the palace. Okay? So understand this is what's going on in this picture. He's a great, he's a, an amazing leader. He's deeply delightful, and he will keep me safe. Do you feel like Jesus will keep you safe? Really, truly? She's finally able to honestly believe in the depths of who she is that he is going to protect her. Just, you know, at the beginning of our time together, he was frightening. But now he's, he will keep her safe. Verse 9. King Solomon has made for himself a sedan chair from the timber of Lebanon. He has made its posts of silver, its back of gold, and its seat of purple fabric with its interior lovingly fitted out by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and gaze on King Solomon with the crown with which his mother has crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of his gladness of heart. In other words, he's rich, he's gorgeous, and he's mine. So be jealous, girls. Go look upon him and swoon in jealousy because he belongs to me. Not only does she believe that he's a good leader, not only does she know that he's going to keep her safe, but she is firmly, firmly in the place where she believes that he desires her and he is hers and she is his. Isn't that great? It's beautiful. All right. That's it for today. Woo. Next week we'll...